This is Free Kick, the podcast aiming for the top corner and part of the Sports Social Network. St Johnson are Scottish Cup winners, Dundee are a Premiership club again, Brecon City are down and the Women's Premier League is getting really interesting. Courier sports writer Eric Nicholson joins us to discuss Callum Davidson becoming a double cut winner, Dundee's ascendancy to the top flight and Mickey Mellon's departure from Dundee United. Also going up are Kelty Hearts following their playoff win over Brecon City as they get ready for life as an SPFL club. Their secretary Gary Grandison joins us to look to the future. Broadcaster and journalist Heather Dewar paints the picture of an exciting finale to the Women's Premier League. And also joining us is Air United owner and chairman David Smith discussing the club's new partnership with English Premier League side Burnley. You're listening to Free Kick. I'm Craig Anderson and welcome to the show. Well, what a week it's been, but before we get into the business of the interviews we've got for you this week, let's pick up some of the news stories we've had over the last few days. The domestic season has now ended, so naturally changes have begun to take shape among various clubs, particularly in management where we've seen a few movements. In the Premiership, Dundee United and Mickey Mellon have gone their separate ways, which we'll find out more about from Courier sports writer Eric Nicholson shortly. John Hughes has left Ross County after keeping them up, and he'll be replaced by Malky Mackay. Kelty Hearts, following their promotion, are also on the lookout for a new manager as Barry Ferguson moves on after three seasons and it's rumoured he's about to be announced as the new boss at Alloa Athletic. Jim Duffy has also left Dumbarton after saving them from the drop from League One by mutual consent while Laurie Ellis has taken over at Queen's Park replacing Ray McKinnon after they won League Two. Also, Tommy Wright has agreed to stay at Kilmarnock despite their relegation from the Premiership. He'd been tipped to move on after their two-leg defeat to Dundee but has been backed by the Killy board as they look to bounce back at the first attempt. Tayside is the centre of the universe, someone may have said, and it seems to be the place to be where it's all happening with stories galore coming out of that part of the world. St Johnson's Scottish Cup win beating Hibernian 1-0 in Saturday's final at Hamden is the standout, but that shouldn't take anything away from Dundee overcoming Kilmarnock to rejoin the top flight after a couple of years away. Joining us to look back at the top stories is Courier sports writer Eric Nicholson, and he says he's running out of positive things to say about the newly crowned Cup winners. Oh gosh, I mean, listen, I'm, it's, it's, I'm running out of ways to describe it, to be honest with you, you know, I thought, there's a few times this season I've thought they've peaked, you know, and you think, uh, that's, shoot, well, winning winning the Betfred Cup final for starters, and then, you know, I can remember going to Ibrox for the, the Scottish Cup quarterfinal thinking, ah, this is where it's going to start to sort of ease, you know, going to get a bit more of a gentle ride at the, the end of the season now, and then, went, then they went and did what they did there, so... Yeah, I mean, listen, they're, they're just, they've been phenomenally well coached. They're, they're a very, very tight group that absolutely know their jobs inside out. They're the, probably, it's probably the way it's worked out. They're the perfect size squad. They, they, were, they would have been susceptible had there been a couple of, uh, couple of injuries in key positions. But as it worked out, they had a core group of about 18. Callum Davidson managed to keep them all involved. They were all getting enough you know, enough game time to keep them to keep them sort of ticking over. And, you know, the, the team has, in certain positions, the team has changed a wee bit, evolved, even if you look back to the Betfred Cup final team or the semi-final team against Hibs. So, no, listen, everything has gone absolutely perfectly. And, well, they've got the perfect result, haven't they? 
And the thing is, this is Callum's first year in management, which makes yeah. his, his achievement all the more impressive. We, we know he was obviously assistant manager to Tommy Wright before him, but he's going to think this management game is all a bit easy. Yeah, I think also, I think it's, you, you make a good point with the fact that, well, he was assistant to Tommy Wright, but he was assistant to Gary Rowett at two clubs as well. And he, he, he has served his apprenticeship. He was in no rush. You know, I'm sure he would have had chances. Well, he was at Dunfermline as well, and there's Stevie Crawford for a wee spell mm-hmm. too. So he he's seen all sides of it. He was in no rush to become a number one, although he always wanted to become a number one. I think there's a there's a moral in the story there for for other people who may think to to jump in too soon when they're not ready. He was ready, and he knew. I mean, a lot of people were saying you don't you don't want to follow Tommy Wright. I mean, I didn't I didn't think that way, but I did. Know, I mean, obviously, I knew the enormity of the task following Tommy Wright, mm-hmm. a guy that up until twelve up until a few months ago was you know. Home and away, they're, they're, they're sorry. Home and Hoy's their, their best manager ever, and he's and he's taken on the challenge. But he he knew the the fundament. He knew the players that were there. He knew the sort of you know the background, the way the clubs run and everything. So he wasn't frightened to take that opportunity. But yeah, I mean, it is still it is still his first season. So he did make mistakes. I mean, not big mistakes, but you know the, he learned a few things in the first few months. You know, St. Johnston. Ironically, were playing better, probably playing their best football in the first few months of the season when they weren't getting the results that they're now getting now. So he's had to he's had to find the balance, you know, with toughening them up, you know, getting a bit more basic at the back, you know, with stopping conceding wee silly wee goals and you know second balls that sort of stuff. So he's learnt on the job as well. It's not a guy who's just stuck to, you know, got lucky, not got lucky, but you know what I mean. He's had this way of doing it. And it's just all worked perfect from the start. It's tweaked as he's gone on. And of course, uh, I've got to mention that footage of him after the game on Saturday, sliding <laughs> along the, the dressing room floor, yeah. champagne soaked and topless as well. <laughs> that was quite something. <laughs> it was. He's he's stressing that he wasn't the first. So uh, <laughs> but it was certainly Stevie Mays. Uh, listen, it, it's all good stuff. I mean, again, it shows you that, yes, he, I guess maybe some people would be surprised. He kind of has more of an image of a sort of, you know, a guy that's maybe got a bit of distance between himself and the players. You know, you see other managers that you think you probably pick a few other managers who you'd, you'd have been likelier candidates for uh, belly slides across a Hamden Park dressing room. <laughs> but no, he's he gets the right balance, you know, and why not? Eh? Why not? And of course, we've got to mention Sean Rooney, who's, who's become such a big player, yeah. especially these big occasions as well. Excellent goal. Um, that the header that, that they got them the, the win in the end. And he's done it all through the season. He's come up um, in the big moments. Yeah, well, well, half a season though. That's the thing. That's, yeah. I mean, it, it's an humble, it's an incredible story, and it kind of plays into what I was talking about. How Callum's changed things as he's gone on. Danny McNamara was uh, St. Johnson's best player in the first half of the season before he went down, back down to Millwall, and pretty much all right. John really got a couple of games, but he was he was Danny McNamara's backup as, as right wing back, and he was and he was a sort of a fill in third right-sided centre-half when Jason Kerr got COVID and was suspended, that sort of thing. So they had to change their team, sorry, they changed the style of the team to accommodate Sean Rooney because he's, well, I mean, he's just a, physically, he's a totally different player to Danny McNamara. And then, yes, you're right. <laughs> I mean, the big moments come with the hour, come with the man. I mean, it's it's to, to score two winners in two cup finals, semi-final, he scored against Celtic, you know, he's, he's just, I scored in the quarterfinal at Betfred Cup as well. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's Roy of the Rover stuff. It really is. 
I've got to ask, maybe there might be a slight bias on your part on this, but there was the, the big discussion when the Scotland squad was announced last week about Xander Clark uh, yeah. not being picked and the likes of John McLaughlin. As he's, he's played not too many games for Rangers this year. Is it fair to say that Xander maybe deserves a look, if nothing else? Yeah, well, I thought, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a broad discussion about this in Johnston players, folks. So of, of the ones, you're right, of the ones who I thought... I'm not saying Xander would have the longest career as a Scotland player, but of the ones who I thought are unlucky for this particular squad, I would have said, yeah, Xander, purely for what you say. If Come on, it's third-choice third goalkeeper. And you're picking a guy who's hardly played in the last six months ahead of a guy who's performed very well in all the big games, all the handing games. Ibrox, obviously, forgetting the... You know the, the the assist for the goal. You know he was, he was phenomenal in the actual game itself, and then the yeah. penalty shootout. So yes, I mean we've Rab Douglas as our columnist, and he's he said yeah, hundred percent. Sander should have been should have been the, the backup goalie, and you know longer term, nobody's going to tell me that guys who've been in Scotland squads or currently in the squad, nobody's going to tell. I've seen Jack Henry play a lot. Nobody will convince me he's a better defender than Jason Kerr. Same with Ryan Porteous, who's been on the fringes of the Scotland squad. Paul Hanlon's been in. I'm sorry, but I'd take the three St. Johnston centre-halves over all those guys that I've mentioned. OK, let's move it from Perth to Dundee then. In quite a week for, for Dundee, we'll get to Dundee United in a minute and what's happened with them. But Dundee, back in the Premiership, they beat Kilmarnock over the two legs to restore themselves in the top flight. How big an achievement is that for James McPake in particular, who did come under a bit of pressure earlier? Oh, no, very much so. Very much so. It's, I think it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic story for James McPake personally. I mean, they've, they've had some shocking results this season and time. And you, know, and you do wonder, had there been fans in the ground, you know, they're, they're an unforgiving lot, the... Uh, the main stand crowd at Dens Park, and if it, it's a long walk from that dugout to the to the tunnel, and you know when they were having those, you know they were struggling around the sort of middle of the year. You know they would have a couple of good results then after in a really poor one. Of course, they nearly nearly had the worst Scottish Cup result in their history. You know, getting getting put out by a, a Lowland League club, and yeah, to, to 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 go on that run, they got their form at just the right time. He started picking the right team at just the right time as well. Um, and listen, you need to, you need you need things to go in your favour. I mean, okay, everybody's saying Kilmarnock were a really poor side defensively, and they are, but they were getting some reasonable results in the, in the top flight. So no, so, uh, Dundee stood up when it mattered, and and James McPig, Well, I mean, the guy will have gone through a real good education as a manager over these last couple of years. So it's intriguing to see how he gets on in the top flight. It really is. And of course, the fact he can call upon somebody like Charlie Adam, um, who's been absolutely superb for them. Does help, does help, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just how good has Charlie been? You, you, you've seen him probably a lot more than I have this year. I mean, he's still, if you, if you can get him in the right parts of the pitch and you get him doing what, what he'll never stop being able to do, like those diagonals, dropping it, dropping it on the, 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 the laces of a, of a striker if he makes the right run, dead ball delivery, Penalties, okay. He had the one saved against St Johnson in the Scottish Cup, but and just just being just getting the best out of others, yeah. That he's he's been exactly what Dundee could have hoped for. He was out. He was fun enough. He was one of the ones who was out the team for a wee bit as well. And there was you know there was fans weren't happy. I don't suppose Charlie would have been happy either. But again, he's he's come back in at right at just the right time, and he's been the big player they needed. And intriguing to see how much he'll get used in the top flight because it's a different, you know. 
you would imagine it's going to be harder for him to do his thing against, you know, central midfielders that will be all over him, you know, you know, managers that will come up with game plans. So it's he'll I think he'll see he'll see less game time in the in the top flight. But listen, twenty five yard free kick. I mean if you could if you could be like a hockey player, you could, you know, you bring him on for those uh, <laughs> the covers and the and the set pieces, but he'll he'll still have something to offer next season. Quite quite how much remains to be seen. We had uh, former Kilmarnock manager Lee Clark on the show last week, and the one uh-huh. the one bit of advice he gave Tommy Wright was basically stop Charlie Adam. Kilmarnock just didn't do that at all over the two games. They didn't know, but then they didn't stop Dundee a whole load of areas. I mean, I don't actually think midfield was the biggest issue for Kilmarnock. I thought it was just. I mean, the defence was horrendous. I mean, it was it was absolutely off. I mean, you know, having seen cover Tommy Wright all these years at St Johnston, I mean, that was the antithesis of a of a Tommy Wright team, I mean, he would have been suffering seeing that, you know, the the, the the first goal, I mean, the first goal at Dens Park, dearie me, awful, awful, the space there was there, and yes, they didn't do a great job on on, on Charlie, but my goodness, they, you know, they didn't do a good job on the Dundee forwards, it was, it was, if I, it'd be painful to watch if you're a commander fan, painful. And moving across the street in Dundee to Dundee United, and there was the Shock news, can we call it that, that Mickey Mellon has left the club after just under a year? Was it a surprise to you? No, not shocked to us. I mean, I wrote a comment piece of, uh, let me think, how many, a good few weeks ago. I mean, we've we've picked up on the mood music that there's going to be a sort of uh, change of direction in the summer and that a change of emphasis might be a, way, a better way of putting it, that United have got a lot of young kids coming through. They're, they've invested heavily in their academy. And for whatever reason, they've come to the conclusion that Mickey Mellon isn't the right fit for that sort of direction of travel. Now, it's it's a big gamble, you know. It's but they've got to they've got this is going to be their model moving forward. And if they think that, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think Mickey Mellon's done the job that he was asked to do. You know, this is the first season up. This was no season to go down. Mm-hmm. particularly with the financial issues Dundee United have had. So he's kept them up and it's a part of the ways Mickey Mellon's probably thought, this isn't for me as well. You know, I, I, you know, he's not a manager who's got a history of, you know, developing young players and that's not, there's nothing wrong in that, you know, that he, he does his work and does it very well. Maybe thinks that English leagues are his natural, English lower leagues are his natural habitat as well. But no, it's, it's, it's intriguing for, for Dundee United now and how, you know, things are going to get very different at Tannadice. And of course, you're, you're talking about the fact they're putting a lot of emphasis on, on youth development, bringing through mm-hmm. young players, and in many ways, a throwback to the, the glory days of the D United. Well, that's what they're, that's certainly what they're hoping. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can't imagine they're going to bring in a manager like uh, Jim McLean was back in the day. No, no, I mean, there's, there's some... I mean, there are, Tam, Tam Courts is getting, you know, that name's been mentioned for... A, that's been hanging around for the last couple of months, and if you, if you went, there's... there's there's interviews out there. There's one, if you went to see, there was an intriguing one that uh, Jordan Campbell and The Athletic did with Andy Goldie, who is the academy head. And they were talking that. about, yeah. they were talking about a coach, a, a manager, first team manager, head coach, whatever they want to call it, basically being developed from the academy the same way as they want to develop players. So personally, if you were asking me, I think it's too soon to go with a Tam Courts who is an academy coach. I know he's been at Kelty. I think they need somebody 
who's a halfway house, if you see what I mean, between a Mickey Mellon and somebody who's who's ingrained in the system. So it's a big risk if they go all the way to if they if they go straight to this this guy that's in with the bricks, so to speak, knows the academy, knows the kids coming through, brave, but really, really risky. And a final one, Eric. Obviously, with Dundee going back into the, the Premiership, it means the return of Tayside Derbies as well. That must be Does pleasing indeed. from a media point of view. Oh, I've been pleasing from our point of view. Don't, don't call them uh, don't call them derbies to Charlie Adam. That was that was the that was one of the stories <laughs> of the, the St Johnston uh, the St Johnston Dundee Cup tie. No, you've got your Dundee Derby back, which is which is great. I mean, there's derbies all over the place, isn't there? Mm. Now you know, I think the, the and for the just talking the Premiership, it, all of a sudden, no offence to you know Kilmarnock are a big team, but it's got a really, it's got a good look about it for for next season, hasn't it? You know, I think it's going to be all of a sudden. You know, it's going to be a strong league, and I think it's there's, there's a few teams with a few issues, but for us, yeah, I mean, the, the Dundee Derby is it's one of the best because it's one of the most exciting. You know, you rarely get a, a dull one. You know, Hearts Hibs. How often do you do you tune in, watch, sit down watching that, and then then sort of. Say to yourself, why did I bother? Because they always turn out to be an anti-climax. Rangers and Celtics probably neither of the Dundee Derby, but I, I can't think of a better one in terms of football and two teams who both two teams both believe they can win a game, so they always go for it. So I know if we can get fans in for those, it'll be fantastic. Eric Nicholson from The Courier joining us on Free Kick. Still to come, Gary Grandison from Kelty Hearts on the joy of promotion, Heather Dewar on the joy of the Women's Premier League and Air United Chairman David Smith on the joy of a new partnership. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. It was all change at the bottom of the SPFL when Brecon City were relegated following their two-leg defeat to Lowland League champions Kelty Hearts. Michael Tidzer scored the only goal of the game to clinch a 3-1 aggregate win and see them join previous promotees Edinburgh City and Cove Rangers in climbing up from the fifth tier and entering the senior ranks. It's been quite the story for the club from Fife who left the juniors three years ago to explore the possibility of climbing up the ladder and now they've done it in what has been a generally accepted as a strange season. Earlier this week, I spoke to Kelty's club secretary, Gary Grandison, about their achievement, as well as the news that Barry Ferguson had left the club. But first up, I asked him how good Sunday was. Well, the, the Sunday was absolutely huge. I think it was huge for the, obviously for the football club, but the, the community in general. Uh, we've got quite a close-knit community, so they follow the club well, so that was as much for them as for, as for ourselves. Now, as I speak to you, the news has not long come out that Barry Ferguson's leaving the club. He's reportedly moving to Alloa at the time of recording, although nothing had been confirmed. How big a blow is that to lose Barry after everything he's done for the club? It's obviously a blow. If, uh, the manager came in, he was getting the remit, uh, getting the club promoted through the Lowland League, through the playoffs. Uh, he's done everything that he came in to do, so obviously... With the success that he's brought to the club, it's a, it is definitely a blow. But uh, we'll obviously now just take a bit, a bit of time, a bit of stock, and get get ourselves and move on to to see where we go with, with another appointment. And obviously, wish Barry well if it is all that he goes to. Now, going back to the game, tell us about how nervous games like that can be. It's a two-legged affair. You guys won the first game two-one, and then went back to Glebe Park on Sunday. Against a team like Brecon, who were fighting for their lives, just how nervous is it? I don't think I could actually describe it without, without you getting shut down, to be fair. Uh, I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst anyway. It's, 
But I mean, football's a game gets you like that. There's always teams looking to win and to lose, and I think the magnitude of what we were playing for us as the games uh, moved on, that definitely started to strike in a wee bit. Yeah, so there was a few uh, knotted stomachs in the in the process, and then on the days building up to the games, etc. But uh, thankfully now we've crossed a line and we've achieved what we set out to do. And of course, as the game went on, the goal never came until quite late on in the game. So, obviously, nerves would have been heightened as well as the game went on. I know, but I think that I think both sides on that. I mean, obviously, you had Brecon come out to to try and preserve a Spain. And Brecon are a, they're an example to part-time clubs. And the levels have reached as a as a part-time club. And basically, I actually feel quite sad to see a club like Brecon dropping out. The league structure, but unfortunately, where there's a winner, there's got to be mm-hmm. there's got to be a loser as well, right? So, so uh, take us back to the moment when Michael Tidza scored. What was your emotion? Can you remember? <laughs> uh, relief, pure and unadulterated relief. Uh, especially when it was, as you say, it was that late in the game, uh, which I didn't think it was an overly great game for. For anybody to watch either, but I don't. I don't think when you've got that much at stake in these sort of games, I don't think they're really ever very pretty to watch. It's about to get. It's, a, it's a getting through it, but uh, no, when the ball hit the back of the net, I mean, we actually thought we'd scored in the first half with with Dougie Hill's header. So you, you were back on edge there, and then with with Farsh hitting the post early second half, you were sitting there looking. Are we going to actually get? Is the ball going to get in the net today? But thankfully. And the fact that it was so late on, it gave it, it was all the less time that Brecon had to get back into the game, so you knew you were near enough job done at that stage. So tell us about the party, if there was one, when you got back to Kelty. I can't really mind much about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they, they got back down into uh, Kelty Servicemen's Club and did, did what you're allowed to do in the current situation, basically. Uh, again, it's a pity that again COVID's hit through the season, and obviously the, the licensed premises are still operating with with some certain curtailments as well. So, no, we enjoyed enjoyed ourselves with the capabilities that we were allowed. Absolutely, and of course it's been tough on on clubs like yourselves all season. You've had the season start, it stopped, then you had the, the big break in between to the point where you never got started again. Just give us an idea of just how hard it's been for clubs like Kelty to try and operate as normally as you can this year. Uh, for, for for us as a as a board running the club, it's obviously difficult because your your income stream goes for the busy. You know, you're, you're playing. We've got hospitality sold out on a match day. We've got a social club buzzing, busy buzzing on a match day. Dec- decent average crowds, and that with one strike, everything's off. Bills uh, bills didn't die away. So you're, you're obviously, you've still got expenditure with the income. Uh, and then on the stop start side of things again as well, you, you then got the, the guys back in when we were allowed to play, still without any income coming in. But uh, no, we, we're a hard-working group, we, we, so the, the club's set up quite well, so we managed, we managed to get through it. But I mean, we're no unique to anybody below, below 
uh, championship level when the League One and League Two clubs were impacted every bit as much. Mm-hmm. And they stopped. I've got to say, credit goes out to the players and to the management, even that as well, because the way that they kept focused through the stop start nature of the season and the way the guys looked after themselves during the lockdown periods is testament to their professionalism and their attitude, and it was absolutely brilliant the way they looked after themselves. And I guess what must make it special was the fact that you did get through those playoffs, particularly the games against Brecon, where there was fans. Fans were allowed in at last. I was, by the way, I've never felt it so strange. You've, you've just for the part for the time when you were allowed to play, just used to turning up to empty stadiums, the <laughs> substitutes using the, the spectator areas as extensions of the dugouts and media and club officials using the seated stands. To actually see supporters in some of these areas was brilliant. Just just to hear a wee bit of noise when the, when the guys came out it was absolutely mental. Now, it takes us back again, to the... Sorry. No, I'm sorry, I was going to ask about um, the decision to leave the juniors um, and join the Lowland League. That was about three, four years ago. What can you tell us about that decision? Uh, Why was that decision made um, to, to make such a leap at that time? At the time, we... Uh, Initially, we thought there might be some sort of plans uh, extending the juniors or the, the juniors forming a, a a branch of that into the perimeter at the time. We, the club had just won the, the Super League. for We won it two years out of three. And uh, you win the Super League, not, that's as far up as you go. You, you win that league, you play in that league again the following year. So, I mean, we... we we looked through it, we, we looked into the technicalities, we looked into the, the financial implications, what would it mean? We, uh, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt, and I think, I don't think anybody could argue that we took a gamble. But I think it, with, the, with the amount of junior teams that have sub- subsequently made a similar move, I think it proves that, they, and yesterday definitely proves that the, the decision that, that we made was the right one at the time, because they we decided that we tried to let the club find its level rather than operate under a glass ceiling. How far can the club progress? And yesterday's the best example of the club progressing. Definitely. Now, we had the situation last year where the virus was doing what it did. You never got the playoffs last year. You know, that's... I would have to say, Sunday's obviously made up for that the last two years where the season was curtailed because of the virus last year. This year, as we've already discussed, the, the stop-start nature of it. So, it's all worked out in the end. It's, it's probably the best result you could have hoped for, all things considered. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, last year was frustrating as well, but when you're operating under unique circumstances, I mean, you're... you're sitting under a global pandemic, so obviously health but health is the, the ultimate priority. So you've just, that's a decision at the time that, that was quite hard to take, but obviously accept why it was made. And thankfully this year the, the decision was found that, that the Lone League and Highland League had acted properly in, in naming their champion clubs and, and that the playoffs went ahead. So good to see they getting settled on the pitch. So now you're in League Two. How do you start to prepare for life in, in that division now? Manager obviously is the the first thing. Do you, you go for someone? Uh, uh, go for someone we, with experience in League start. Two, or do you do something different? Uh, obviously, we're at, we, we just found out. So we're at the early stages of having 
we're getting the heads together on that, on that one. Obviously, we realise how how critical it is. I mean, we didn't just want to be in a league two to be a league two club. Uh, we look at the good job that Edinburgh City Cove Rangers and clubs like that have done on promotion. We, we, we want to very much follow that sort of example. So, you know, we'll take a look around and somebody that fits the idea as a football club and hopefully we, we get the right decisions in a, in a timely manner. And last question. Uh, I was just looking uh, where you guys are. Not a, not a lot of people will know where Kelty is. But a wee town called Cowdenbeath just down the road. I, I noticed they're in the same league as you as well. A nice wee derby with Cowdenbeath to look forward to. Aye, it'll be the first real derby we've had since we left the juniors. We, we, we used to have some backing derbies with Holiday Hawthorne, which is just at the top edge of Cowdenbeath. Uh, so I'll be very much look, look forward to being able to walk horns with, with our friends along the road. Gary Grandison, Kelty Hearts Secretary, as they get ready to join the SPFL. Coming up, broadcaster and journalist Heather Dewar joins us to discuss the three-way battle at the top of the Women's Premier League, and we hear from Air United Chairman David Smith. We'll be right back. You're listening to Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. If you think the drama on the pitch is over, think again. The Women's Premier League is hotting up for a nail-biting finale with three games to go, and it's a three-way battle as Glasgow City look to clinch the title for a 14th consecutive season. However, Celtic and Rangers are right behind them and look to swipe it away from Scott Booth's team. We recorded on Wednesday afternoon right before Rangers played four for Farmington, Celtic took on Hibs and Glasgow City hosted Hearts. Rangers' defeat to Celtic on Sunday has left them five points behind league leaders Glasgow, so could be a tall order for them, but Celtic are still very much in the mix, especially after City slipped to a nil-nil draw with Hibs. Broadcaster and journalist Heather Dewar has been on top of it all, and I started by asking her if there's a real threat that Glasgow could finally be unseated. Oh, that is a very tough one, Craig. Hmm. If you'd asked me this at the beginning of the season, I would have said probably yes, because on paper and going by the fact that both Celtic and Rangers were looking like they'd be pretty strong this season and the fact that they'd gone fully professional, it seemed as if there would be a real challenge. Um, Where Glasgow City are sitting now, they're currently three points in front of Celtic. I don't know. There's three games to go. We've got a game tonight, uh, a round of full round of fixtures in back tonight. Um, City haven't got uh, a a particularly tough one, I don't think, for for them. They're playing hearts. So you'd imagine that they would win that. Um, The last game of the season for them could be the tougher one. They take on Rangers. Um, So that's one potentially they could fall on their sword with. But Again, they've beaten them already this season. So it's one of those, Craig, where it's really difficult to call. And I'm I'm honestly not, not making excuses here or sitting on the fence. It's just Celtic have kind of seemed to have come from nowhere. And they're sitting in second place now behind Glasgow City. And they're looking really good. I would not be surprised if they pulled a rabbit out of the hat here. When you again, when you look at it in paper, the beginning of the season, it looked like Rangers were going to be the team that would really compete with Glasgow City for the title. Rangers have since fallen back. They've now been beaten three times on the bounce by Celtic, a disastrous result for for them. Let's not pull any punches here. And they've also been beaten by Glasgow City recently. Of course, they won their their first match in dominating style, but 
and this is a key thing for Rangers, they've lost their main striker. So Kirsty Howard, unfortunately for her, a terrible, terrible injury, but she ruptured her cruciate ligament, her ACL. And ever since then, you've seen a bit of a decline. Now, yes, they have got striking power there. And yes, they have still won some games. But in the games that have really mattered, those games being against Celtic and those games being against Glasgow City, they faltered. I question whether that would have happened if Kirsty Howard hadn't gone off injured because she was such a dominant force. And she, even with her ACL for weeks, she was the leading goal scorer still in uh, the SWPL one with 11 goals. So, so I don't know. It's a, it's a hard one to call. If you really want me to answer that one, um, are they going to win it? I would say they probably will take it, but it's looking very, very tight. Rangers would have to win the next three games and, and City and Celtic would have to falter. So at the moment, Rangers are sitting on 42 points. So the maximum they could get is 51. Glasgow City are sitting on 47, Celtic on 44. So do your maths. You know, it, I'm not saying Rangers wouldn't win all three matches ahead of them. I'm sure they'll be confident they, they can do that. But is it enough? Well, again, it depends on the others uh, falling on their on their swords or dropping points. So I think it's a very tough one now for Rangers. The key thing, though, Craig, and this is the most important thing. Yes, it's brilliant to win the league. And yes, Glasgow City, if they win another title, it'll be their 14th on the bounce, which is an incredible achievement. I remember everybody celebrating their 13th. I mean, it's, it is amazing what they've managed to do in women's football in Scotland. But the key thing really is the Champions League because next season it all changes and there's an awful lot of money at stake. And this is what clubs will be fighting for. So whoever win the league, wins the league, obviously will go through. Um, that's a given. But it's who comes second in the league that will then prosper from uh, the Champions League. You know, and it's, it's going now to a group stage of 16 teams next season. And each team will receive £400,000 for being in that group stage. That is an awful lot of money. The winner, Craig, will receive up to 1.4 million euros. It's just unbelievable. So where where we've been in the past and where we're looking at now, that's why everybody's talking about the Champions League when it comes to women's football. And you go to these press conferences and, and you know, they, it's all about, you know, you're confident you might get into the Champions League. But there is a really good reason behind that because... That kind of cash when it comes to women's football is just massive. You know, and teams like Celtic, Glasgow City, who may not have that kind of investment. I mean, there, there clearly is some kind of investment at Glasgow City and there will be some investment uh, with Celtic as well. But that kind of money is, is potentially a game changer, particularly when it comes to players, because at the moment, the problem that a lot of the, the players in, in Scotland will have is that as soon as they start hitting the heights, the you know, other teams from down south, the WSL, are going to start looking at them. At the moment, they're not particularly looking at Scotland for that type of talent because they're able, they've got so much money down there now, they're able to poach from wherever they want, you know, US in particular or, or Scandinavia, but they've really got the pick of the bunch. So, so yeah, it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens um, but difficult to, to pin that down, whether they're going to win the, the title. It's looking like they will, but it's not a given. <laughs> now, as we record, you've already mentioned it, it's Wednesday afternoon. There's a round of fixtures to come later tonight, such as the, the, the perils of recording when we do. 
So looking at the results from the weekend, Glasgow City drawing with Hibs nil nil, I think, was one that raised a few yeah. eyebrows as well. Did it do the same for you? Did it? Well, I suppose so. Um, on the basis of of Hibs kind of overall results this season. I mean, if you go back in history, um, before this season, it was always City and Hibs who were competing against each other. They were always seen as the, the top two teams, you know, the ones to be. And Hibs in particular just seemed to romp away with all the titles when it came to, you know, cup games and always seemed to take the the silverware. I don't know what it was about Hibs, but they seemed to just find something, pull something out of the bag and, and produce the goods when it really mattered in terms of, um, you know, League Cup and Scottish Cup. So, yeah, I mean, it's, did they surprise me? I suppose, uh, I suppose Glasgow City surprised me. You know, it surprised me that they didn't get more from, from the game. But I would say that when it comes to Glasgow City and Hibernian, you never know what might happen. But but a brilliant result for them because, you know, they they don't have anything like the, the you know facilities or the investment that some of the other clubs have. So for them, that would have been a an absolutely cracking result. And I'm sure Dean Gibson, their head coach, would, you know, would have been absolutely delighted with that. Now, one person who seems to have impressed is Fran Alonso, the Celtic women's head coach. He joined the club in January 2020, so he never really got a chance to make his mark on the team straight away because of the coronavirus pandemic and the, the, the sort of game had stopped at that point. But now he has. Look at where they are now. How impressed have you been by him um, all through this season? Well, I met Fran when he was unveiled as the, the Celtic manager and, and they actually did the unveiling at Celtic Park. And I remember seeing his face and how absolutely delighted he was to be there he couldn't believe it he couldn't believe that he was in these amazing surroundings just full of joy full of energy full of ambition so I thought at that point oh this could be a you know really interesting guy to contend with when it comes to the league and then as you say everything went a bit awry with the the coronavirus I've been really impressed with him um, I still don't think we've necessarily had a good glimpse at his managerial abilities up here um, but I, what I like about Fran is that not only is he a really nice guy, uh, which I know doesn't necessarily count for much when it comes to matters on the pitch, but he is a, a good bloke. Um, but when it comes to his press conferences, he plays everything down. Now, I get I don't know whether this is game playing. <laughs> we see this a lot in the men's game. We've all we've all seen it, you know, and, and some managers are brilliant at it. Um, but he he has always said, you know, um, we are, I think in the very first, one of the very first uh, press conferences that he attended, I actually asked the question whether it was a two horse race now between Rangers and Glasgow City. And uh, he pretty much shot that down and quite rightly so, I have to say. And then when it came to the most recent press conference that we had, you know, he was asked about the Champions League and, you know, he said, well, we want to get into the Champions League. We're not there yet. And if we're not there now, that's something we'll work towards. So, I think he's 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 a humble guy um, and playing down Celtic's uh, ability to, I suppose, necessarily compete or, or win the league. I think it's actually been pretty clever because they're not going out and being all arrogant about what they can achieve or what they can do. They're just going about their business pretty quietly and they're producing results. And I think that's why it's potentially been quite so interesting watching them and seeing them you know produce the results that they have produced and to put them into to second place but they've got some good players and um, I like Jacinta I think she's been pretty impressive 
as Sarah Ewins um, and a Philby. So, yeah, I think he's got the nucleus of a, a good squad. And of course, Sarah Teagarten um, from States. She's she's looking good as well. She she's had a bit of an injury um, knock this season, but she's she's another one to be reckoned with. So, so yeah, I, I think it will be interesting where you know to see where they finish and to see where Fran Alonso can take them. But what I what I find really interesting as well, Craig, is I'm sure you're all over social media like myself, is that he seems to be gathering a bit of a following along lots of the male supporters uh, as well, who may potentially, or just supporters in general, who may potentially have never really followed women's football, but they, they seem to love Fran because. He just glows with that energy and excitement. He's so proud of wearing the Celtic shirt, you know, and he makes a big deal of that a lot. So, yeah, he's I I think he's done well. So while we've got you, I want to talk about the the Scotland women's head coaching position, um, which has been vacant since Shelley Kerr left the post back at Christmas time. Now, Stuart McLaren's still there on an interim basis, but five months on, any ideas on, on what's causing the delay? I would suggest, and I, I don't know, know this um, for a fact, but I would suggest maybe they're waiting for um, the strategic review to come out. After the last Women's World Cup, there was a review that was done. It's been in the process. It was meant to take six months. It's taken longer since, uh, longer than that, but I guess you have to take the coronavirus into account. But there are several key pillars that that uh, review is kind of focusing on. And it's not just the national side, it's grassroots football, the women's game in general, but, but the national side is a part of that. So I wonder whether maybe they're waiting for that to come out. I understand it will come out in the summer. What summer? You know, I mean, when is the summer? Let's be honest. Is it June? Is it July? Is it August? Um, Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it could be that they're waiting for that to come out just to, to give, you know, their kind of general idea of where they want to take the national side, because it might be. And again, I'm just surmising here. It could be totally wrong, but it might be that they go down the route of, you know, looking to bring more people through the ranks. Maybe it is that they ha- they're looking at an in-house appointment. Maybe it's McLaren. You know, they're looking to kind of keep things in-house and build things from within rather than going for a big expensive appointment elsewhere. But there are plenty of managers in the game who are out of work. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that any of the current managers we see who, who are currently out of work that we've heard about over the last week that have left their positions would ever consider going into the women's game. But it's not a bad option these days when it's growing in popularity and, you know, the money is there. I interviewed Willie Kirk, who's currently um, the Everton women's head coach a few months ago. And he was quite slating, actually, of of some, some of the processes. And he did say he would like to be women's, uh, the Scotland women's head coach one day, but not yet. I mean, he's obviously got a very good gig at Everton, so he's obviously happy where he is now. Um, but he was someone that was being t- certainly touted as a potential successor to Shelley Kerr. So he's ruled himself out, you'd imagine, by coming out and saying that. I don't know. I, I personally would go for the kind of ambitious route. I'd look at getting someone in who's got experience in the women's game, Male or female, it doesn't matter. Just someone who's got that ambition to to drive them forward. I mean, Casey Stoney for me would be an interesting appointment because she's obviously she's experienced the game at all sorts of levels. Um, she she knows her stuff. 
She is a, a harsh but fair manager. And I think that might be that would be a potentially interesting appointment. But I would imagine that's well down the route now. And that uh, they'll probably announce someone in in June would be my suggestion. But who it will be, who knows? But there are there are lots of people to choose from, Craig. It's just it's dependent on which route they go down. Do they go in-house and go for the, you know, the, that kind of route, the academy route? Do you know, you look at men's clubs, a lot of men's clubs are doing that. Do they, do they look at that? Um, someone who can work potentially with the, the whole structure, because I think that's massively important. You look at someone like Anna Senor, for example, who was in place for several years before Shelley Kerr. And that was a massive part of her remit. You speak to any of the, the female footballers who played under her or anyone, in fact, who was within the SFA during her time there. She did so much for the women's game behind the scenes wasn't just what you saw in the park she really tried to drive things forward so I do think that that will be a big part of it as well not just about what's on the park but how you drive the women's game forward in Scotland so it's almost like there'll be two jobs for that person so therefore that person has to be really right it's a massive appointment they can't get this wrong it's huge there is so much riding on this you know Scotland want to qualify for another world cup uh, I think it would be a huge failure if they didn't do that. You know, the Euros was a failure. OK, Scotland did a, a, an amazing thing by making it through to the World Cup finals last time round. But to not do that again would be would be pretty serious, I think, given the investment and the money that's going into the women's game now. And of course, they're cutting it fine as well. You mentioned, hopefully, an appointment in June. They've got two games in June coming up against Northern Ireland and Wales. And that's set before the World Cup qualifiers start again in September. So the time is running out. It is running out. But again, I would say it's probably, I think they've done the right thing in taking their time on this. You know, they could have appointed someone really quickly and made a mistake. But actually, they've taken their time. They've done their due diligence. And they've obviously... I would imagine shortlisted several candidates now. Um, I think we'd all rather see a successful Scotland than having a, a Scotland manager in who's potentially not right for that job. But I go back to what I said before. I do wonder whether there is part of it that's linked in with that strategic review and therefore whether that announces something um, to do with the women's national team and the growth of that and, and the part that that manager can take in, in growing the game from you know, grassroots upwards, whether that is a part of it, I'm not sure, but I, I wouldn't be ultimately surprised. But yeah, they, they need to get someone in clearly, um, but, but getting the right person for me is, is more important. And the last one before we go back to the, the Premier League and the, the finale, go on, I hang, your, hang your flag to a mask, who's going to win, who's going to win the title? <laughs> Oh, man, you keep doing this to me. Um, <laughs> right, I'm going to say Glasgow City. Glasgow City on the basis that they are sitting pretty at the top at the moment on 47 points. And I think it would be it would be unusual for them to, to slip up against Hearts. Um, the, the key one, I suppose, is the final game of the season. But again... You know, if it's just they they only need what seven points now to win the league. So who've they got next? They have got Spartans. Spartans are an interesting one. So Spartans are coming through 
Now, Spartans have moved up to fourth last week. And Debbie McCulloch is doing some great things uh, at Spartans. They are looking to bring on some professionals next season as well. So there's going to be investment there. So that could be one. I wouldn't want to call the Spartans one. Um, Hearts, I would say on paper, you'd imagine them uh, winning that one. Spartans, don't know. Rangers, don't know. That one could go either way. So I'll still go for Glasgow City as winning this just because of where they are and their history and because they are a very um, ambitious side who will give it everything to try and win this. But I would still, the, the wee caveat, the little niggling thing inside me is also saying, I would not be surprised if uh, Fan Alonso's Celtic pulled something out of the bag. And if Rangers were to to, to win it, um, well, I mean, that, as I say, that would need to have big slip-ups from the um, part of Celtic and, and City. So City would be my answer. Who would you go with, Craig? I would go with City. Personally, I think uh, you mentioned there the fact that they've, they've been doing it for so long. They're consistent. They know what it takes to, to get over the line. Yeah, I would say the fixtures maybe favour them a little bit as well. Yeah, and certainly, do you know what I, I think has been really crucial when it's come to Rangers? Um, another another thing which I think has, has kind of caused their downfall to a certain degree has been playing the big occasion. You know, the, the big games, they just certainly recently, um, they haven't been able to perform in. And that's where you see Glasgow City who are able to handle that. And they've got that experience. They've got... Not all of them, obviously, because a lot of their players have moved on now. But they've got that Champions League experience where they they're up against it. You know, they've got that pressure. So it'll be a really interesting end to the season. And uh, yeah, bring on next season is all I say because I think next season will be different. I think we're going to see more investment, and I, I've already mentioned Spartans, but I think we might see more investment in some of the other clubs. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw um, players moving players coming in Heather Dewar joining me on Free Kick we'll certainly keep our eyes on the SWPL in the next couple of weeks one more to come on Free Kick and it's exciting times at Air United as they've announced a new partnership with English Premier League side Burnley Chairman David Smith joins us to tell us more after the break This is Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. Welcome back. Air United made a big announcement last week with the news they would be in a partnership with English Premier League side Burnley, which would see resources shared between the clubs as well as Irish sides Cove Ramblers and Portadown and Lynn Dudnall in the Welsh League. It's certainly an exciting one from the Somerset Park side's point of view, so to find out more, we spoke to chairman and owner David Smith and began by asking how the partnership came about. Uh, It started started through... um... David Hopkin, our manager. That was the first point of contact. Um, and then I started dealing with uh, the, the, the chief operating officer, a guy called Matt Williams, um, and it led on to meeting the, the owner of Burnley, Alan Pace, all virtually. And um, it was pitched to us that it was going to be a kind of strategic partnership with um, a, a few other um, sort of lower league clubs around the, the whole of the UK. Um and it would be a real benefit to our club and to Burnley um, with a kind of knowledge share and sharing of resources and stuff like that. And uh, very quickly uh, during the discussions, we realised just just how big an impact it could make to Air United. And I'm looking at the, the information that was put on the website. You know, Burnley are, are widening its scouting network for talent identification in the yep. Partners Club region. So you're looking at the possibility of players maybe going down to Burnley and likewise players coming from Burnley to Air. 
Yeah, that, I think that's the that's the tangible stuff. That's the stuff you can touch and and, and it'll make an impact. But there's lots of uh, stuff that will happen behind the scenes. But in terms of that talent identification, I, I think it's probably fair to say that. Um, Burnley have a kind of aging team. Um, their academy, whether it's a Category 1 academy, um, there's not a lot of players coming through from their academy into the first team. So um, Alan Pace, the new owner, um, is, is, is right into talent identification and his other businesses and stuff. So it kind of made sense for him to make this move. So I think also with um, Brexit, you know, they're going to be struggling to put players abroad and stuff um, for experience. So actually having, you know, the whole of the UK available um, for those placements um, is important. It's important to Burnley that, um, you know, if they're putting players out and loan, that they come to uh, a club that will look after them, that will nurture them, have a training plan, make sure they're okay, you know, look after their health and well-being. And Air United have got a fantastic reputation for doing that with young players over the years. So um, I think, I think, the, the knee jerk would possibly be that Burnley are coming to raid their talent and all that kind of stuff. Um, the reality is the chances of, you know, somebody coming through our academy um, and, and going on to play in the Burnley first team are are, are very small. Um, but if that does happen, part of the sort of minute of understanding that we've agreed and signed off is that we will get paid the, the fair value for any talent that they do take down the road. Um, but, you know, it's in its infancy. It's just started. You know, it's a fluid situation in terms of how the the partnership will, will, will build up over the coming years. But already um, this week, what we are on Wednesday, and this week I've had numerous discussions with Burnley about um, possible players coming up. Their under twenty threes are coming up in July, and they wanted to to get a game with us. But we, the, the the league cup starts by then, so we can do that. But we'll go up and visit them, have a look at what they've got. See what how it would suit, um, and, you know what what talent they've got for us. Uh, and at the same time, our under sixteens went down at the weekend to play in the Banfield tournament, and um, sorry, and um, they've already um, sort of pointed out a couple of our under sixteen players that they thought had bags of talent and bags of potential. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really good thing. It gives our players a real positive pathway. Um, you know, for us to, to 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 say that to young players when when we're recruiting them, that um, you know, you don't have to go up to the old firm, you don't have to go up to to Glasgow or Edinburgh or or, or whatever, you know, to go to a big club. Stick with us, and we can get your pathway down to Burnley. Um, now that might be just just down for the weekend, down for a week, down permanently, you know, whatever. Um, but it's a it's a real positive thing. Definitely, and just when you were talking about um, the fears of Burnley raiding. You know, talent from Air United, and I think probably the last player that I can think of that made a move to such a big club was maybe Steve Nicholl back in the eighties, um, yeah. when he joined Liverpool as well. But again, it's an attractive proposition for any young player coming through. That, as you say, there's a pathway to a Premier League club down in England. Absolutely, you know, uh, Steve Nicholl. He's probably uh, one of the first players I saw when I when I, when I started supporting Air United, and then you kind of stick with him, and then. You know, I never became a Liverpool fan, but always watched out for Liverpool when he was playing there. And that, and the Burnley footprint, that, you know, Alan Pace is, is an American owner. Um, he's fully aware of what brand awareness can do over the long term in terms of, you know, the business of Burnley. So actually having an affiliation, you know, with Burnley, if you're an United fan, you know, Burnley could well become your um, your second team. And if that's a top or whatever, all the commercial stuff that goes with that and vice versa. 
um, you know, uh, you know, if you're a Burnley fan, then Air United potentially become your Scottish team, and um, Portadown become your Northern Irish team, and all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of uh, little threads that can come out of this. It's great. And again, going back to the, the statement that was on the, the Air United website, um, Burnley are opening up the. You know, helping with expertise and development and coaching um, with their coaches and players. And then, interestingly, the sharing of data across youth academies and sports science. And again, something that I, I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate in this day and age, the modern technology side of it. And in some ways, that's got to be a game changer for a club like Air United, that that information is going to be right there for you in the palm of your hand. It is. Probably, probably doing a club like Air a little bit of a disservice in terms of sports science. Well, we're not at the levels that Burnley we're at. We, we, you know, we use sports science and have used sports data for you know quite a long time. So, um, you know, when I was going, I, I got a tour around the academy um, and, and their training facility, and there's lots and lots of things there that we can use. Okay, there's a huge resource behind what they've got, but um, they're prepared to share their tech with us, um, their apps and all their all their tech stuff as well. Um, so we, there's a huge amount of knowledge we can pick up from that. The coaches who were down with the under-16s at the weekend have come back with pages and pages of really good stuff that, that they've picked up. But see, at the same time, uh, we know for a fact that the Burnley guys have picked up pages and pages of stuff that our guys have put into the meeting as well. So uh, the knowledge share sitting around the table with actually different tiers of football is is, is really, really big, particularly when you embrace it and you do it collaboratively. And of course, the interesting fact to this is you've got the other teams involved around the country as well. Usually when you see a partnership like this, it's usually between two clubs, but it seems to be a network when you've got Cobra Ramblers, Porter Down and Landudno as well. So you're, you're presumably getting to share everybody's information and, and see what's out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's a really big part of it. So we fully intend to go across to Porter Down and, and, to Cork and, and down to Wendidlow, you know, and, and we want them to come up. We've already discussed about, you know, everybody hosting a festival at a certain age group for the, for the, the, the academy teams. And, and that's really exciting. Um, it's great having those guys. I've really, you know, I was down last week and I really, really enjoyed chatting to the three teams about their structure, their size, their scale, the stuff they do well, the stuff they want to do better. Um, and how they can bounce off us and we can bounce off them. There's lots and lots of opportunity with it. Um, and I think, see, you know, I think, you know, agents are agents and they'll try and tell you that their their, their asset is the best thing since sliced bread and is going to be amazing. Actually getting a trusted partner viewpoint on somebody. So we were looking, say we are looking at a player in the, you know, um, playing, playing in the Republic Island. We, we could speak to Cove. And and they would say, yeah, yeah, he's a he's a player, or well, he's 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 all right, but he, you know he doesn't last ninety minutes, or he's injury prone. See, so getting that insider sort of knowledge um, will be huge, and that that's important for Burnley as well. So they can come as a trusted partner, ask you know David Hopkins and, and our management team what they think of players in Scotland as well, and and we will give them a, a very open and honest opinion and, and any kind of backstory that we know about the players as well. Now, I read it's a, it's a two-year deal initially. It's probably early days to even ask this question, but is there scope, if it proves to be a success, that it could be extended longer? Yeah, yeah. It's a, so the minute of understanding has got 24 months in it, but it's it's, it's fully intended to be a, a rolling programme between us all. Um, 
but see at the same time, see if it doesn't suit us, that there's more than um, enough ways to get out of it and we shake hands and say it's not really worth for us or it's not worked for you or whatever and we can move on. But we are we are embracing it. We're we're um we we are absolutely got open arms for this and, and and very keen to get some of our staff down um pretty quickly to have a look at the setup and have a look at other things. So the the start of the new season is is, is to, I know it seems we only just finished this season, but the start of the new season is, is very close. So there's certain things I would like to um, implement before the start of the season. Let's talk about you now, David. You took over the club in January. We have to. We have to. <laughs> <laughs> succeeded, obviously, at Lachlan Cameron, who's been in charge for quite a number of years now. Um, yep. So how are you finding the role of being a club owner and all that goes with that? Uh, honestly, it's been really challenging. Um, not probably not quite what I thought it was going to be, um, if I'm brutally honest. So, um, but at the same time, I, I've probably ran at a pace that I, that I do most things in my life. So it'd been dead easy just to get in and sit down and take stock and um, not really do an awful lot for a wee while. But I was on the board for a year or so before that, so I kind of had it in my head what I wanted to do. So we've implemented in uh, five months. A huge amount of change. We've got a new management team in place. We've done a lot of ground improvements. We've bolstered the, the sort of physio uh, department. We've bought a lot of capital purchases for um, sort of strength and conditioning. We've um, we bought we got the car park back off of um, it had been sold off a few years ago, and that was really important to get that strategically. We're on site building our Somerset hub at the moment as well. So uh, foundations and stuff are getting built now. So that'll be a huge difference. So, and then, you know, we've had a change in terms of the board memberships. So Fraser joined uh, a couple of weeks ago and he's going to be a huge help. But on top of that, you know, Alan and Willie, who have been on the board, you know, collectively for over 25 years between them, have been massive um, in the last five months. So um, lots of change, um, but it's probably driven by me and at my pace, if you like. Didn't didn't enjoy didn't enjoy heading towards the end of the season and potentially heading towards the playoffs. Like that that's you know, as a fan, it's pretty bad. Um as the owner, it was bloody awful, actually. It was terrible. As you mentioned, you were the vice chairman before and as you've just said, you've been a supporter all your life. So now that you're the main man, does that add a, a little layer of extra pressure on you that that obviously you're expected to deliver now? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, no pressure at all. Eh? So, um, I think, I think. See, the the one thing I probably wasn't really up to speed with it. You know, in my business, that the social media stuff and stuff we do is all it was all generally positive. It's a it's a positive at what we're doing as a business, what we're doing in the community, and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't ready for. Um, I wasn't ready for the pressure that the social media stuff. So, you know, we go up to a growth, we lose 4-0. It was completely unacceptable. It was it was rubbish. Um, we, we, we played like a team who didn't care. Um, and that was horrible to watch. But actually, I didn't expect the, the backlash on it. And that, that's going to take a little bit of getting used to. I'm not used to that. And finally, while I have you, um, I've got to ask about the possibility of Ayrshire Derby's coming back next season following Kilmarnock's relegation from the Premiership, with fans coming back to, to games as well. How huge are those games going to be in particular and how much are you looking forward to them as an airman? Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to them. Um, 
you know, see, I've got different hats here. So, so as an Air fan, great to have Kilmarnock in the same league. As a as a guy from Ayrshire, I actually probably wanted uh, Kilmarnock to stay up because I, I would rather they stayed up there. And in a couple of years, we went up to join them, um, and that would be a better solution because I'm passionate about Ayrshire. But they didn't make it. Um, and then you put the chairman's hat on. So, yeah, the four games we'll have against Kilmarnock are huge. Um, they'll be, I think, it's probably the first time in 20-odd years we'll have a league uh, derby. Um, the Ayrshire Cup stopped years ago as well. So um, I've got a huge amount of respect for for, for Billy Bowie and, and Kilmarnock. Um, and, and hopefully we can make these entertaining and safe sort of environments for our fans to go in. You know, level zero at the moment only allows for a maximum of sort of 2,000 fans in, in Scotland. And then if you think about it, the commercial uh, opportunities are, 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 would normally be massive for this because it, it would it would potentially be a sellout at both grounds. But if you're only 2,000 fans in, you automatically think we'll, we'll get a streaming revenue from it. But actually, I would imagine that there'll be a couple of, well, at least two or three of those games will be picked for the... Um, the BBC Scotland games, so you, you potentially don't get any revenue from that. So, I think I would imagine Billy and myself will be, I'll be, I'll, I'll be uh, pretty upset if we don't get fans in and, and we don't maximise the opportunity to get a, a reasonable income out of the games. But um, it'll be exciting for the fans, and you know, Hoppy's trying to build a big, strong, athletic team that, that will compete um, a bit more passionately than we did last season. So, it'll be interesting to see what we do against a, a Kilmarnock squad that, that, that needs to be rebuilt as well. Air United chairman David Smith on free kick. Before we go, let's wish Chelsea midfielder Billy Gilmore the very best of luck ahead of his team taking on Manchester City in the Champions League final, which takes place this Saturday in Porto. Could he join the likes of Paul Lambert, Darren Fletcher and Andy Robertson as Scottish winners of the biggest trophy in Europe? We'll have to wait and see. So all the best to Billy. Also the best of luck to Manchester United, Scott McTominay, who will have played in the Europa League final against Villarreal by the time you hear this. So we hope that's another Scott with his hands on a European trophy. That's about it for Free Kick, the Scottish football podcast. And this podcast is now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, the UK's first dedicated sport podcast network. So find the next show you'll love or join the team at www.sport-social.co.uk. In the meantime, I want to thank my guests, Eric Nicholson, Gary Grandison, Heather Dewar and David Smith, and to you for listening. I'll be back next week, so take care, have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.